or if you want to give some opening remarks, feel free before we get started. Mm, hold on, let me make sure this is going to work. So as a quick intro, oh, perfect. So as a quick intro, uh, Mr. Chairman, um, now that we have it up. So as a quick intro, Mr. Chairman, and those watching at home, uh, the first item on tonight's agenda is the uh, Town of Franklin's Employee Classification and Compensation Study. Um, just as a background, I'll have some comments uh, once Joellen goes through the presentation. Uh, a draft copy of the final report was included in the packet tonight. Um, uh, I'll let Joellen get started, but um, I just want to let everybody know this has been multiple, many, many years in the making. Um, and I want to thank uh, uh, Karen Brad to the left of me uh, for her incredible work on this. Uh, we've been aiming at this for many, many years, um, and somehow we were able to cobble together the time uh, with GovHR um, to get this compensation study done. I'm sure there'll be some questions at the end, but uh, we'll start off with uh, Joanne Calamadori from GovHR uh, to give a short PowerPoint presentation and to discuss the methodology as to how we went about this, why this is important, um, and where do we go from here. Joellen? Okay, thank you, thank you, um, and good evening, everyone. Um, yes, I'm Joellen from GovHR, and I'm happy to uh, be presenting a draft final report to you tonight. Um, we can make some final edits if need be, uh, but generally it's in a, its format as far as the structure is concerned. Um, and just by way of background, I was fortunate to work in local government in Massachusetts for about 17 years, um, and I've been consulting for, for over 10 now. I'm out of Illinois, um, but it's been a pleasure working with the town, with the employees, with the administration. Everybody has been really terrific. And, and this type of study does take a lot of hands-on work uh, with the project team, which was, uh, it did happen and it was very helpful you know it's a partnership it's, it's one of those types of studies where we don't just make a recommendation there really is a lot of discussion throughout so tonight i will go over the scope of work we were asked to perform for the town the job evaluation process that we conducted we've developed a new uh, classification plan uh, as a result of that job evaluation we then did a compensation study um, by setting some comparable communities, getting some information from the market, analyzing that, and developing a compensation plan to go along with the classification plan. Um, and then there's a strategy to implement, although my recommendation is pretty general. Um, it could be more specific with regard to the town um, and its intentions. And then how would you manage the system going forward? So the first part of the study was really just um, the job analysis portion and developing that classification plan. And getting it started, we had to have some meetings, we had to have some discussion about study expectations, um, and then just get a lot of information um, to me, a lot of documents, job descriptions, paid plans, just, just a lot of information from the town in order for us to start the work. We then went through a process to determine comparable communities uh, to Franklin, from whom we requested information um, to develop a, the a compensation plan. Uh, we also distributed materials to the employees. We had some kickoff meetings um, to talk with them about the study, what it was, what it was not, ask them to participate and fill out the questionnaires for us uh, so we could do the job evaluation process. Um, and then we did conduct that process, we developed a classification plan, and uh, through a, that process, we 
had interviews with employees in Franklin so we could really understand the work and how you, you do it in your community. I think something that's unique about this type of work is that every community is different. You know, if you if you went to, to uh, Walpole or you went to Marlboro, you know, somebody might have a similar job, but they may have some nuances to that job. You know, so the work in Franklin is unique to your community, and that's why we have to have employees participate, which they did, and they were terrific. Um, and we had to have some interviews so we could really understand how you perform your work there. We then did the compensation analysis by putting together a survey, um, getting information from the market, and we analyzed that. So what you have in front of you tonight is what we call the draft of the final report. You know, there's still some time to make a few edits if necessary. Um, I'll, I'll talk with you about it tonight. Happy to answer any questions that you have. Once we receive the final feedback, we will finalize the report for you. So the first portion of the study was the job evaluation portion, and there were 87 positions that we looked at um, through this process. So the way that we get information and do job evaluation is through a questionnaire. We call it our job analysis questionnaire. And every employee covered by the study was asked to fill out a questionnaire about their position. Not about their individual background, but about their position. And if they left, what were the minimum qualifications needed to be to perform the work? And you can see here, our job evaluation system has nine factors, ranging from education, experience, decision-making, which gets to the overall complexity of the work. We talk about policy-making, planning of work, meaning how much latitude do you have to plan your work and do you plan the work of others, the contact that you're having with each other and stakeholders or, or other uh, you know, people in the community, um, vendors, uh, developers, things of that nature, whether or not people supervise or sign work, um, what is their work environment and physical demands, which correlates with the Americans with Disabilities Act. And then our last factor is technological proficiency. So it not only measures use of computers, but it also measures overall proficiency. And so we bring in looking at equipment operation, dexterity, things of that nature as well. So we, so we went through and asked people to fill out a questionnaire and answer uh, questions in relation to these nine factors. So when we did the job evaluation, we had virtual interviews and what, as a result of that and the job evaluation and, and the analysis process, we, we developed something what we refer to as internal equity. So in order to do that, we have to get feedback from the employees on the questionnaire. We then ask the supervisors to comment on the employee's perception of their work and then we conduct a virtual interview to really look at everything. Um, and we make an assessment based on that interview. Um, what happens with the questionnaires is they're scored um, and they are developed into a classification plan. So if, if you have the report in front of you, um, the classification plan that we're recommending starts on page 24 of the printed report or 27 of the PDF. But classification plan develops internal equity or it, it establishes internal equity, which is really important. And what that means is Positions that scored similarly overall, uh, after looking at the nine factors, are assigned to the same grade. And what that tells us is the positions that are in the same grade have similar um, complexities. They, they need similar knowledge, skills, and ability overall to do the work, and therefore they're internally comparable, so they should be in the same grade. And then what that ends up turning into afterwards is pay equity. 
So positions that are in the same grade will have the same pay range assigned to that. So internal equity guarantees pay equity, pay equity or the equity pay act is a law in Massachusetts and this system um, complies with that law. So that's the classification plan side. It was looking at all the positions. We developed that uh, classification plan. It's in table one of the report and it has 15 uh, different grades. And there were a few um, uh, recommendations for some title changes. On the compensation side, uh, we went through and we looked at um, different criteria in order to determine comparable communities uh, to Franklin. And so this information um, and this analysis is in Appendix B of the report. Appendix A is that job analysis questionnaire I just talked about. Appendix B is the analysis we went through to determine comparable communities. And so we look at that information. It's sourced from the Department of Revenue. Um, and we look at uh, population proximity. You can see the first and last criteria, but everything sandwiched in the middle is financial information. And we get all of that from the Department of Revenue. And then we put it into a spreadsheet. Um, we, we do our initial uh, review. We do some weighting. We sorted a couple of different ways. And I understand there was something with the population sort, but it, it didn't affect the comps. We, we, we rectified that. Um, but we ended up with the top comparable communities uh, based on this methodology. And for your study, these were your top communities. So this is not this is in alphabetical order. It's not in the order of the closest um, community as far as the top comparable community. But these were the communities to which we um, compared. And what's good about it is you can see it's 86 points out of a total 100 points. So they're very strong comps as far as ability to pay. You know, those financial factors really establish ability to pay. So we want to try and find communities that are close um, in that regard. So these are the ones that we used uh, for Franklin. The other thing about the salary survey is that, um, just a few points. When we do a salary survey, we define the job. And the reason why we do that is because if you go to another community, it may or may not have the same title. So we want to make sure we're getting that real comparison of, of information for the same position. We do review the data to make sure that it's relevant. Um, if it's if for some reason some data points are not relevant, um, in Appendix C of the report um, you, is all of the data. If you see any highlighting and then the word edited, it means that we didn't agree with some data points and we removed them. Um, but we're very transparent in the work so you can see that. Uh, another thing that's important is, is what data do we use once we receive this information. We ask for minimum salary for the position, maximum salary, and actual, because sometimes communities don't have a salary range. Uh, but we prefer to use a salary range because it's a better gauge of the market of the market value of the job. You know, if we only have an actual salary, we don't know the market conditions under which someone was hired, nor do we know their tenure. And we know with the economy the way it is right now, it would be all over the place if we only had actual salaries, salaries to rely on. So for you, we had a lot of range data, which was good, and we could base our analysis on that. And then the last point is when we do a salary survey, it's a snapshot in time. So we gathered this information last year. When you maintain your system going forward, you can update it to make sure it's competitive with the market. But it's a snapshot in time. So if for some reason one of those comparable communities had not adjusted their pay ranges for the current fiscal year, um, it will eventually catch up. But if I'm an employee of Franklin and say, you know, the first uh, community was Attleboro, if I was seeking a position in Attleboro, 
if they were a year behind with their wages, their pay plan, that's still the value of the job at that time, during that, that period of time. So that's the market. But again, there's a way to maintain it going forward and communities that update their pay plans, you eventually capture that in subsequent years. So the next thing is the um, table two, which is the proposed compensation plan. Um, and that is on page 27 of the PDF and 30 of the, um, I'm sorry, 27 of the printed version, 30 of the PDF. But um, what, the comp the, what we call our comprehensive table brings together is the classification plan that I just mentioned and then the compensation data from the market. So that's what table two is. It just brings together classification and compensation. And we calculated ranges at the 75th percentile of the data we received from the market. Um, so if you're interested in looking at the exact pay ranges, the very next table in the report, table three, is just the pay ranges. That's on page 30 of the printed version and 33 of the PDF. The way that we calculate those ranges and the reason why they're broken out is so I can explain to you and show to you how we, we are able to match the market data to the classification plan, which I'll speak to in a, in a minute. But we did calculate at the 75th percentile, which is competitive. Um, you know, and, and the reason why you want to do that and the reason why you want to consider being there as a payer is because it allows you to attract and retain employees. Um, in the market right now, if, if you're going uh, much below that, you're going to have a harder time recruiting and retaining people. And what the 70th percentile represents is 25% of communities pay more for the same position, 75% pay less. You know, if you're at the 50, 50th percentile, you'd be in the exact middle. And the 50th percentile may or may not be above average. So at the 75th, you know you'll be above average, and that's a good message to send to the market, as well as your existing employee and population um, for a way to, to retain people. So the 15 um, compensation grades are broken out to three bands, um, or I should say three bands, but, but actually four. There's one, one separate one. Uh, but the first six grades are the administrative and technical band, um, then 7 through 11 are the supervisors and advanced technical, and then 12 uh, through 15 are the directors and senior managers, and that's broken into two groups, A and B. Um, but the reason why we put positions in bands is um, because if I was in a position, if I came to work for the town of Franklin, and I started in a position in grade two, for example, um, if I wanted to move into a position in grade three or four in the administrative and technical band, with some time and service, I should be able to do that. But if I wanted to move into a position in the, the, the advanced technical and supervisory band or the directors and senior managers band, it's going to require not only possibly time and service, but more education and training as well. So that's the first reason why you do the bands. The second reason why is by looking at the information, the, the uh, compensation information within the band, we can actually better match the um, compensation data to the ranges that we're recommending. So we look at the first band exclusively to the, to the second to the third. Um, so, so it's a way to look at things separately. And then the way the, the table three that I was talking about is how we calculate the ranges. Um, so we have two tools to do that. So again, I would look at all the data in, in grades uh, one through six, 
um, and say, okay, what, what is the market telling me? Where should I start grade one and where should I end grade six based on the, the market data? And the two tools that we use in order to calculate that are um, gradation and range spread. So the first uh, thing here is the range spread. And you can see that we have a 40% spread for all of the grades except for grade 15. That actually goes up to a 50% spread. And the range spread is the difference between minimum pay and maximum pay. So, so every, every maximum pay with the exception of 15 is 40% higher than the minimum pay for each grade. And then the other tool we use is gradation, which is the difference between starting pay. So you can see here it's different. Um, for grades one through six, it's seven and a half percent, seven through 11, it's five percent, and then it goes back up to 17 and a half percent for 12 through 14. So all that means is um, grade two starting pay is seven and a half percent higher than grade one, grade three is seven and a half percent higher than grade two. So by, by moving the gradation um, and looking at that range spread, we can closely, as possible, match the market um, to the data and the ranges that we're recommending. So as far as going forward, um, you have the tools to maintain the classification plan. You know, we spent a lot of time looking at the positions um, and where they actually fell in the classification plan. So, so the town is familiar with um, our whole system. Uh, we have a manual that the town has. They have a, the, the job factor analysis tool. They have the questionnaire. So in the event you have to uh, change a job in the future, add a job, abolish a job, you can do that. And as long as you're maintaining it, you know, every year if you're just looking at things to make sure that the classification plan is up to date, this system will last you for a long time, you know, 10, 15 years. You know, unless Franklin um, adds a, a tremendous amount of jobs that, that might, you know, change things, it should last you for a long period of time. Um, and then on the compensation side, what you want to do is look at what those comparable communities are doing every year. You know, and see what they're doing for their general increase. You know, are they, is it two percent? Is it three percent? What is it? And if you're looking at that and, and adjusting those ranges, the minimum and the maximum, by the same amount, then you'll stay competitive with the market. And just like I said before, for the community that might have been behind, you know, when you when you find out where they are and you start to take that into account, you bring everything up to date. So if you do those two things. The system will last you for a long time on, on the classification side and your, your pay will stay competitive with the market so you won't have to do a study like this. You can always do another compensation study, um, you know, five years or so down the road just to make sure that things haven't changed too much, but on the classification side it should be sound for a longer period than that. Um, so that's my general overview of the study. Um, and I'm happy to answer any questions unless, um, uh, Jamie, if, if you wanted to talk a little bit more about implementation. Sure. Uh, thanks a lot, Joanne. That was uh, incredibly uh, incredibly well done. I just want to uh, add in a couple of quick points, uh, Mr. Chairman. Um, as Joellen kind of just uh, mentioned, but I was going to mention as my lead point, uh, this is the first time the town of Franklin, at least on the municipal side, has ever done this. Um, in the past, it was just kind of cherry-plucking towns around here or nearby uh, and kind of writing something down, and there was really no actual methodology associated with it. Um, and as I think we just learned, you know, Joellen's been doing these studies for Massachusetts communities for years. There's a lot of other of our comparables even that have used GovHR to do their methodology. If you look through the report, 
Um, one of the other features in there um, is that it really does expand out the factors of comparables. Traditionally, communities use population, right? But as I frequently say, the town of Danvers is a great example where we compare with Danvers extremely well in terms of population, tax levy size, um, and a lot of the features uh, that Joella mentioned, commercial industrial versus residential tax rate. But it's just highly unlikely that someone's going to drive from Marblehead to Franklin for a job, right? So considering things like proximity, uh, tax levy, which we've talked about at the Finance Committee and at many department head meetings, um, is comparable size of budget. And so she's really got a great methodology that incorporates numerous factors into what determines what um, exactly your comparable communities are. And I think if you look in the report in the back, uh, and we will correct that one table where the uh, numbers uh, were uh, splintered up, um, if you look in the back, you'll notice that there's actually almost, uh, there's about three dozen communities that were looked at. So those were just some of the highlights up there on the screen, I think about a dozen towns or so. Um, and just for folks watching at home, um, it, it, it goes without saying, and I know there are probably some people that are watching that have asked me a lot of questions about this stuff and Karen over the last year or two. Um, as Joel pointed out, this study evaluates the position, okay, not the individual. Um, I think naturally our minds gravitate towards the individual, right? And say, well, what, what is that person doing? Are they doing better than what's expected, lesser than what's expected? Really didn't take into consideration any of that. Taking into consideration is really a true market analysis based off uh, an actual formula methodology, uh, which is really important because, because ultimately if the town, and I know the school district is also dealing with the same issues, if we are going to recruit and we are going to retain, we have to evaluate and make sure we're strategically putting resources into the positions that are most critical, that it's going to make us keep those great employees here or allow us to recruit them in certain examples where we've had some high level jobs that have been vacant for a while and we do need to make those adjustments to make sure we can even get somebody into the job at all. Um, and so I just want to make sure that folks are very clear about that. This is not an analysis, uh, this is not a performance review. This is not someone going in or any of us going in saying that person's doing a good job or a bad job or an okay job or just enough of a job. It's really evaluating the positions. I think one of the other strong reasons why we also went with Joellen and her methodology was it empowers the employee, which she highlighted, but um, it empowers the employee. Our employees filled out these uh, JAQ forms and they went through their supervisors to work with them about what their jobs are. And um, if I may just give one example uh, of one individual that um, was probably not classified as, as well as they could have was the recreation, the director of recreation. Once they went through that process and saw like what they were actually doing in terms of working with the school district really closely um, and all of the other things that Ryan does, just as one example, I think Ryan uh, is one example kind of illuminated this process and was like, wow, you know, I hadn't sat down for 15 years and really thought about what am I actually doing every day and then Joellen's methodology goes out and looks at those comparables and says you know based on that work that that person is doing in the job description that we have in Franklin where are those other comparables and are we compensating those individuals properly um, to make sure that um, while I believe and all of us hope uh, we know Ryan is the GOAT at recreation um, but if he's not here someday for some reason you know, what is gonna maintain our competitive advantage to make sure we can get somebody, which we probably will never get anybody like Ryan, but in all seriousness, someday, somebody's gonna leave and we're gonna to have to fill those jobs. And, um, and to make sure that we're paying enough to be able to recruit 
um, some of those top positions. Um, just a couple of other urban myths I'd like to bust, um, because I know people are probably watching on TV <laughs> live at home. Um, what this is not, is not an automatic increase for every single person to see that they're gonna get a huge raise um, at, the, at the maximum level of the grade, okay? Um, this is not also, uh, as many people have asked me, this is not an, uh, an equalizing program to adjust for inflation, okay? Um, this is to, uh, this is not a system to showcase um, where, uh, where we're gonna be able to pay somebody right away the top uh, dollar figure in any grade. Um, in terms of implementation, what we've tried to do um, is look out over maybe about two or three years and try to chip away at some of the areas that we're most in need. And I can say right now, um, you know, while some of that implementation is going to be fluid based on the budgets coming up, um, the clear need uh, was at the top grade um, for the uh, top positions, chief of police, fire chief, DPW director, town attorney, finance director, if you look at the uh, grade 15, and also making sure our lowest paid employees uh, are also being prioritized because uh, before this study got started, before we saw where the comparables were, um, our, our lowest paid employees were really, really low paid. Um, I think one of the biggest gaps we had was almost $30,000, $35,000 were some of the gaps between market, what we were paying people. Um, and obviously for some of those employees, we have to work through collective bargaining, right? With the library, the custodial, uh, DPW. But for the folks in here in grades, uh, grades two, three, four, um, we really needed to prioritize those. So without a defined and concrete implementation plan, which we do not have to put up on the screen as of yet, but if people can visualize it, where the first phase is, or really the top and the lowest grades, and then over the course of the next year or two, we hope to kind of move further towards the middle. And what we've tried to prioritize as a baseline uh, as well is making sure that at least everybody is within the minimum uh, amount within their grade. So that's kind of the first round, if you will, of implementation. Uh, we've made, been able to make some of those adjustments already uh, this fiscal year based on the data that uh, Joellen's providing, working with our departments. And I'm sure when we get to the budget uh, debate in, uh, in April and May, uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, based on the revenues we have and based on the priorities of the departments, and the feedback we get from the public, um, you know, we'll be able to analyze how much more of an investment we can make uh, towards meeting some of those goals in the future. So, um, in summary, I, I know I can speak for Karen, but I'm sure many of you will have questions for her as well. Uh, I'm exceptionally proud um, to have been able to get to this point. Um, on the one hand, uh, I know we all want to be, uh, you know, Super Bowl winners, and we all want it all to go away, fix it all really quickly. Um, and we will work towards that. It's gonna be slow and steady. Um, but to get to this point, as Joel and said, where we actually now have a foundation to a house, we can basically continue to, to work on this and increase each year, whatever the COLA is every year. We talked about the COLA at the last meeting. You know, 1%, 2%, 3%, whatever it is. We can continually keep up with this. Look at the market. I mean, there's a lot of jobs out there. We do a lot of uh, research ourselves and be able to hopefully stay uh, as competitive as possible as we try to make uh, all of the adjustments throughout the entire plan that we can. We have over 300 employees. 
with the schools, we're well over a thousand employees. Uh, we have a lot of people. Um, and what we did find out really ultimately is I think a lot of cities and towns <laughs> overall are probably underpaying people. Uh, and I think what we did find out is a lot of our employees um, overall within the marketplace, we do have some significant adjustments to make. It is a crazy marketplace right now. Um, I don't know how to really describe it uh, in short. Um, it's a tough, tough environment uh, for hiring, especially at the top level and at the bottom level uh, of the comp plan. And um, you know, I'm really proud to have gotten the organization to this point. And I really feel that Joellen's given us a phenomenal foundation to move forward from. And uh, I'm sure this isn't the last we'll talk about it, but um, that's where we're at right now. And obviously, we're happy to answer any questions the, uh, the committee might have. Thank you. I have kind of question slash comment. Um, one was I'm sure this is just a big boost to the to the HR department or whatever it is that you call because it, it just seems like there's so much data. I was flipping through the survey and that's significantly comprehensive what employees had to. And you said every single employee did it. Every single employee filled out their own JEQ, yeah. and then we had them work with their own supervisors to go through and review those. And, um, you know, the staff did a phenomenal job. They did work hard at these. They spent a lot of time on them. Um, and, uh, and we didn't just try to look at it, by the way, in terms of, it was tough, right? <coughs> Some employees are looking out future years, too. And they're trying to anticipate tasks that may come up. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit art and science, right? Uh, Karen was great. Joel was great. The department heads, no. We, we're doing an analysis for right now with what you're doing today with what's in your job description now. Um, and I have no doubt that, some, especially in those middle grades, in those professional positions, I have no doubt that um, as uh, services evolve and as departments evolve, I have no doubt that some of those job descriptions might evolve and those responsibilities might evolve. As we hire people, as you know, there's strengths and weaknesses we all have. Um, and so I think um, as this goes on, this is a nice living and breathing document, hopefully, that we can continue on with year after year. And as Joel said, maybe every five years or so or three years, we put more money into the budget and we try to go back and do a review. Uh, but it did give the employees the power center of being able to define their job for what they do. Um, and I think for a handful of departments, uh, it was a very illuminating exercise to realize, geez, Maybe we're doing a lot more than we thought we were, um, and maybe we're doing a lot more than what wasn't in our job description. So um, we tried not to be cold <laughs> by saying, no, literally only today. I mean, we tried to work and mold with a few employees that had some questions about what they'd be doing, you know, six months from now or a year from now. But um, it was really completely driven, really, by the employees. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it seems, to be, again, based on the question, so shout out to everybody for getting that done, because I'm sure that's just a lot of data that, again, you can now build on. And just want to clarify, so when you said you're kind of actioning on things, what I imagine is you have all your grade 1 through 15 and you have your range, right? And then you take your 300 employees and boop, 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 and then power grid them. And that's kind of how you looked at it and said, like, we need to start attacking again where our major outliers are and then our 1s and 15s and move in. That's correct. And, and it, there's one other factor I would add into there. It's also what's available for resources. I mean, as, as everybody in this room knows, and I'm, I just happened to look over there at the school department too, I mean, I think we're all in the same boat on this. You know, there's only so much. I think one of the hardest parts about local government in today's marketplace is that we're limited by Prop 2.5. If you're a business, you just raise the price on the product 
or you shrink the product and you go make the adjustments and you pay people more. Or you give a bonus at the end of the year or whatever the, whatever the private sector models are. We don't really have that luxury. And, um, and I, I don't want to go too off the, the range, but this is going to be a significant issue in this era of inflation, which is not going to just magically go away tomorrow, um, where we are definitely losing people to the private sector. There's no question. And um, we can't just go raise the prices of goods and services to make up for that. We are completely stuck uh, right here with two and a half. And as you all know, and everybody here knows, um, my predecessor and I, we go right up to the levy capacity every single year. Sometimes when some people say to me, how did Holliston or another community, how did they raise taxes 7%, right, when you're only limited by two and a half? Well, that's because they have excess levy capacity, and I'm sorry to get geeky with terms, but this is critical stuff. They have excess levy capacity because they don't go up to their levy capacity every year. As long as I've been here, and certainly before me with Jeff, we always went to the levy capacity, which means there is no excess levy capacity, which means our revenues really do go up by the levy limit of 2.5% every year. Sands new growth in, in, in licensing fees, um, which are more market-based as well. Um, but we're limited in the available, availability of resources. So that's another factor involved in this with that strategy is, um, is, is, is making sure that those two levels, the, the 15 and the two, we're truly prioritized because those are, the, those are some of those critical jobs we have to fill or make those adjustments with the available resources we have. Got it. Makes sense. Block and tackle as you can. Block and tackle as you can. Okay. Got it. Anybody else? I have a couple. Um, do we have employees now, you know, the range that's proposed here? The fiscal year 2023 compensation plan with all grades, yep. we have people that are significantly either below or above, I don't think so, or above in those, and if so, how do we fix that? Do we, do we have to fix it? Or? We do, That that's, I'm trying to figure out, so that's like a 30 minute answer to some degree. <laughs> we have, I, I think ultimately, as I just suggested a moment ago, the good news is right now we've been able to make the adjustments necessary to make sure everybody is paid appropriately within their grade. There are some that are at the top max of their grade, um, not many, but some. Um, and there are some uh, that are at the, minim the bare minimum in their grade. Again, that comes back to available resources and trying to prioritize. Um, there are also some positions that were extremely under market. Um, and again, I would use one example um, of the recreation department as probably the prime example. Uh, the senior center as well uh, is another example. You'll see that uh, reflected in their FY24 budget. So, um, but, but I believe, Karen, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that as of now, everybody is at least within their grade being compensated for wherever they fell within that grade. <laughs> Um, and so, to me, that's like when we, when we did equal pay for equal work several years ago. That's why when we've committed to paying the minimum wage as the bare minimum in town, even though we weren't for years, when you're able to be me or, or the HR director and say that everybody is at least within those bounds of their grade, that's a, that's a, huge, that's a huge success. 
not saying everybody's thrilled, uh, not saying there aren't more adjustments that have to get made and not that there have to be other strategic initiatives, um, but to be in that position, you know, sitting here tonight is, a, is for us, I think, a, a pretty significant achievement. Um, and by no means is it over, but, um, but that's pretty good. Uh, second question. Yeah. Do we have the ability either within this, let's say that somebody tries to poach TJ Lynch. Bad example. We know this. <laughs> we can't do that. <laughs> All right, Sandini in the back. Jonna Hudson, where you live. Pick someone who's not here. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I just, yeah, there's nobody you're going to pick that. Go ahead, I get it. I get it. <laughs> do we have the ability either through this or some other method to stave off poaching? Because, I mean, the money we've invested in training, for instance, TJ is, you know, the FBI Academy and whatnot, which gives him great credentials, and Cambridge comes and says, come on. <clears throat> Do we have the I ability? To, I, <laughs> <laughs> he beat me to the punch. <laughs> no, um, it, there's we, nothing in here that's the real bit. Did somehow. There's nothing in here. I mean, no. I mean, there's nothing in here that's law. I mean, if somebody wanted to go uh, take, you know, recruit somebody and pay them, you know, three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. I mean, it's pretty hard to compete with that. What I would say is one of the things that did, uh, and all the data, I'm appreciative, Natalie, that you saw all the data, because um, both of us, and mostly her even, <laughs> we were getting like spun up with how much data was in there. It was incredible, right? I mean, Joellen's model is, uh, is quite extensive. Um, what we did find is a lot of towns aren't even, they're paying people way out of class. It's almost like, why bother having planned? So we addressed that actually with Joellen. Um, and I think this reflects what I would consider actions. And part of the reason why, uh, Mr. Chairman, I did that was I looked at one community and I said, geez, uh, their classification plan says the chief of police should make between 120 and say 180,000. But they're paying the police chief 200,000. So what good's the plan, right? If you're doing all the numbers and they're, and, and they're doing 75% of it, what's good's the plan? So we took the actual. Right, to try to make sure that we're paying people within a plan, otherwise why have it? And, um, and it doesn't really give downstream everybody else confidence that they can't be, played out, can't be paid out of class. So it gives everybody an argument, well, pay everybody out of the classification plan, then why have a plan? Why have this at all? Why is that important to your question? Because that's actually hopefully what does stave people off is that they know our pay ranges are actually reflected now much more accurately based on reality than just a statistical formula. And so some people may look at that grade 15 and say, wow, you know, that's quite a range. I can tell you most towns don't have a range that high, even those comparables like that. Because we asked Joellen to take the actual salaries of what people were making and bring it through the methodology so that it would equalize it out so we, we, we're not paying people more than what the plan says. And it also should give people over the next year, the year after that, the year after that, if you keep adding up each year, 2.5%, 2.5%, 2.5% theoretically on a COLA, that should make us stay ahead of the curve. And so hopefully, um, you know, hopefully everybody will approve 
all the capital requests from all of these guys tonight to make sure they all feel the support necessary to make sure they don't leave, um, and which is also a big factor, uh, truly. Uh, but that's from a salary perspective. I think hopefully this also makes us look more attractive uh, for people that are looking out there. And as we all know, all municipal employees look around for this stuff all the time, um, especially in this job market, because most people are trying to take advantage of the economy and the market to better themselves, which they should. And we want to be in a position where we want the best to come here if we can question I have is Chris I mean we talked with the schools uh, last month I guess the, is is this type of study could it should it be done on the school side so through you just is this more municipal stuff versus school stuff if they want to answer that, I would say so some of the jobs that were listed on here um, were central office school positions and we've worked with the previous superintendent to identify those the HR director uh, it wasn't every single position I don't think throughout the whole uh, school department obviously but there were some identified there were some comparables internally uh, obviously with the transition uh, we haven't had enough time um, you know to be able to go through all that data and I presume that when the new HR director comes on, on the school side and when Lucas if he ever has a minute because um, he's a pretty busy guy um, you know, there'll be a time and a place for us to look at the data that Joellen has gotten relative to those, you know, dozen or so school department positions. In terms of school departments in general, I, I, I assume there's probably a similar type study that, Karen? I would also just highlight, this is our non-union positions, and the school obviously has quite a few positions in central office, um, but you know, such a huge piece of the uh, school budget, the town budget also is union. Um, and that really needs to be compared. You know, I know we, and I know um, I, my coworker, Lisa, in the school department certainly looks at comps of other departments and similar communities to see what they're offering their unions. But I think that's probably the bulk of the money. They could certainly do that. I don't know, Joellen, if you've done actual school departments in the past, or that's a little bit different, but I think they probably have similar yeah, it is a little bit different. We're actually going to be working with Lynn, but it's going to be on their administrative um, employees, so not necessarily teachers. Right. So, right. so the, there is a little bit of a difference, I think, with the academic side. We've actually looked at our system. We think we could uh, work with the school, but we haven't we haven't done one one yet. Just Lynn's the first one, and again, it's just the administrative positions. I know they were concerned about equity within, I think you used the Hockamock League as the, as the base, but it would be nice, I suppose, maybe, to have somebody like Joellen do that, get it out of just to echo what Jamie started to allude to um, for on the school side we do have for the administrative positions um, throughout the Commonwealth through the Massachusetts Association of School Superintendents and some of our um, other organizations they provide comparable salary ranges so that we can get a sense of kind of what uh, a comparable position within the school system in Franklin if we have a similar position in the curriculum realm or, or other leadership positions that we can compare it to. So they, we do try to use those. Base it off of anything like student population or you know, 
to factor in district number of buildings, that kind of stuff. And you try to look at the number of um, people you're responsible for. If it's an administrative position, they'll look at um, the types of people um, below a supervisory position to see what type of structure there is. Because um, to make it apples to apples, if one district has a director with no subordinates and then a different district has one person who's responsible, um, that gets factored in as well. And um, to Jamie's point, you try to um, use that, the actuals, and what people are actually being paid. Because ultimately, that's what dictates um, the market for competitive salary ranges to try to, to recruit that way. So, yep. so this, this is no union people at all in this study at all. This is just Right. It's just non-union. Uh, yeah. The unions traditionally, as I think we all know, do their own comparables. Um, is there anybody else in this study group, you know, the adult worlds and whatnot, that have actually done this? And Joel, uh, Joel I think could certainly speak to that, Joel, but no. there are a number of communities that have used GovHR and other um, companies in the last few years. People that I've spoken to, or when I went out to look for references, a lot of towns are doing it. I believe, Joellen, you had a huge list of reference communities. Right, yeah. right. I, I, I did. You know, and I, I actually pulled it up just in case the question was asked. But on the list of your comps, I've done uh, Denham, Norwood, Walpole, and on Westboro. But just starting down the list, I'll just go through um, um, Beverly, Boxboro, um, Boxford, Boylston. Uh, Concord, Danvers, Dartmouth, Dedham, Duxbury, Eatam, Falmouth, Framingham. So um, my, my, point, my point was yeah, a lot. Did it work? <laughs> Is there any every every study has been implemented? Response. You know what I mean? Every yes, every study that we've done has been implemented, and I think the reason why is because. You know, as Jamie and Karen will say, it's it really is a fluid process, and it has to work for the community. So while the methodology is the same, while the questionnaires are the same, every community is unique, and we have to work with the community to to create um, and implement a plan that that is um, financially, you know, doable and sustainable over time. So so yes, they do do it, and it, it's something that. We're just very busy because um, of the market right now. You know, it's more—it's busier than it ever has been. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody on Zoom? Anybody? Uh, Chana or Mike? Any questions? Or anybody yeah. else out there? I'm good. Go ahead, Mike. He's good. Great. All right. Yeah. I don't have any questions. Great. Okay, I don't see any hands up on Zoom. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Joellen. Thank you. See you next hey, you're week. Welcome. See you next yeah, week. See you next week. Okay, bye bye. Good night, everyone. Night. Okay, the easy path's over. Now <laughs> <laughs> the capital plan. Just the town administrator. Sir. We, Mr. Chairman. So, um, I'm just going to go right to the memo. Um, so, you know, if people are looking online, you can go to our budget page, go to tonight's meeting. There's links. Uh, I'm just going to try to do the best I can to cut to the chase. Um, so, hopefully, the uh, the capital plan is pretty straightforward uh, in terms of the amounts. But just for the folks watching at home, um, uh, the amount of free cash that was available and certified by the state this year was uh, 4.3 million. 
uh, as tradition has it, we usually hold uh, about 750,000 for snow and ice costs this winter. Um, our 10% policy for OPEB is 432,000. Uh, we're going back to uh, pre-pandemic policies of being able to invest uh, in the fire truck stabilization account, the field stabilization account, um, and also uh, the proposal tonight uh, before you is to also invest another million dollars into the budget stabilization fund, uh, which would bring that fund up to uh, just over three million dollars, uh, which is uh, which is certainly uh, strong. And as many of you recall, um, that was a big feature um, that this committee previous. Uh, this committee current, uh, as well as staff working with the rating agencies, uh, this is a critical piece of why we're a AAA bond rating uh, community. Uh, not once, but twice. We just got another AAA uh, award before we went to borrow for Schmidt's Farm, uh, uh, just at the end of last year. So that, after those policy adjustments, if the Finance Committee agrees with those, which have been standard policy for years, um, that would leave remaining about one point, uh, just under 1.9 million uh, for the uh, typical capital uh, appropriations. Does anybody have any questions on the committee first before I get going on the town policy requests? I know on the second page of the memo there's some updated amounts, but just before we move on to the department requests, I thought I'd just stop and ask if there's any questions about free cash or, you good? Yeah. You're seeing the heads up? Okay. So the first set uh, of department. Oh, sure. Yeah. Just one quick question. I just noticed the uh, property projects, two hundred eighty-five thousand. Is that? Uh, are you putting any in this? Zero in. So what? What's the intent with that close to three hundred grand? Um, there's not an official. Well, actually, I shouldn't say official. There is not a stabilization account uh, to accommodate for technology. If you look in the uh, Tim's capital plan, you'll see a request for half a million dollars in there every year, which is uh, a great idea that he has. Um, the problem with both technology and public property is they have so many needs that it's very hard to get ahead of that to actually deposit any type of funds into those stabilization accounts. Um, I, I'm not totally looking to my left, but on my peripheral vision, I see Mike and Tim. And I guarantee you um, that they have more than enough to spend money on. So what we've considered the, the stabilization account, which was created by Jeff many, many years ago, uh, we've just left that alone for now because there's always more projects that can be done in the immediacy. Um, and as I've said in many years before, both, uh, uh, both the facilities and you know, hopefully someday we would be able to create a technology stabilization account. Um, you know, at some point we're gonna have to have a strategy. Maybe when our other reserves are up uh, higher at a level that's much more uh, strong, uh, maybe we consider more investments into those. Um, I don't know where that comes. I haven't found a solution to that yet, but generally we see that account there for facilities, Mr. Chairman, and think, you know, if there was really some crisis that we'd have to bail ourselves out of, at least there's some. Uh, stabilization account there for, for Mike. So um, there really is not, not much more thought beyond that, but at some point we have to try to figure that out. Great, thank you. Yep. So batting lead off tonight uh, on page three of the memo, uh, the school department and school facilities. As you know, I try to blend them all together with technology when uh, Tim does have requests. Um, there are three requests before you tonight. 
325,000 for K through grade five English uh, curriculum materials. Um, and the request was, I believe, 400,000 for that. Um, and then the second request is to replace some technology, uh, the teacher laptops at 75,000. Uh, I do believe the request was uh, double that as well. And then also uh, RJ and Keller Sullivan security. Um, we've created lock person traps uh, on all the other schools and I believe these are the last two. Um, as I recall for the new members, Mr. Chairman, and as you know, I traditionally ask, well actually I don't traditionally, I do ask, <laughs> all of the departments to put all of their priorities for capital in the order of emergency or priority. Um, these were the issues that, uh, that rose to the top. So uh, I know the schools are here tonight, the superintendent, school business administrator, and school committee, if anybody has any questions about them. I have one question. The uh, curriculum upgrade, is that hard or soft? Is it books or? magnetic data it's a combination so the the contract allows for digital subscriptions I think that's what we would consider soft and then on the other side this physical books or kits or literacy lab kits uh, depending on the contract we're currently assessing multiple we have a district committee of, of teachers from across the district that uh, they met today and they're evaluating to make sure that we're vetting the materials before we make any kind of commitment to that but um, a, a pre-K through five purchase of literacy or any type of curriculum material in order to roll that out. Um, we want to make sure that we are vetting that material. Yeah, I just, I just want to make sure that, you know, that, that we have what we need, but it's, you know, it'd be nice to have it all soft, but I understand it. So but this, I think this is both. One year? So is this, this is one year, and I, so I'm, glad year you, I'm glad you asked that question. It's a one year the amount we talked about you know what's allotted and I know um, as we come before you you know we had like like other departments you have a list I'm sure but we had roughly I think 950,000 originally in our request which included replacement of a special education van um, include some other pieces but when asked to prioritize um, given the allotted amount um, we prioritize the curriculum in this case it's for um, a, to meet the needs of a one-year curriculum rollout to get the, the materials, but ultimately at the contracts that are coming in are more than 325, but we're trying to um, move forward with the, the literacy implementation. The, the, the caveat to that is when you purchase a one-year or two-year contract, uh, the way the contracts are designed, the longer you obviously commit to a program, the cheaper it is per year. It's like many other types of things in life, so um, that's the downside of not trying to get ahead of. In the past, we been able, um, we've been fortunate with the town to have um, the ability to purchase a multi-year contract, um, but given the, the constraints that we are faced with, this is what we're asking for from you today. Thank you. Just to piggyback on that, I'm sorry, what happens here too? So we um, are going to be, if, if, if it's approved and goes through, this, goes through the process, we would use the money to put towards, we'd have to find uh, enough to, to satisfy the contract. A one or a two year, depending on the materials uh, that they're going to select, and then ultimately we would um, be back in front of you in future years to try to continue this work. Um, it's not, you know, how we would choose to do it, but that's what we would have to do. So it'd be like a two-year contract. We would have physical hard copies. The licensing would end, and then obviously there's some consumables. When you're dealing with elementary, particularly, you'll have some consumable materials that you need to replenish. So. Um, we have to consider that as part of our long-term plan and strategy. 
So it always stays as capex. It never goes to our capital. It never goes to kind of school operating budget. So in the past, if um, and I can use an example of a different program where we've spent. I think a few years ago we had like a five hundred thousand dollar allotment that covered us for five years. So it drops from that like three twenty five for one or two years to five hundred, um, and that builds you out, and then um, you don't come back um, and ask for that type of curriculum need. Got it, but it's kind of a special capital it's always a special, outside your operating budget. Yeah, traditionally in Franklin, um, yeah. capital requests for curriculum to outfit five elementaries or you know um, a district our size. Um, we've come before with capital to try to float those uh, purchases. Correct. And this is across all buildings? This would be, uh, yes, this would be uh, across all of our um, pre-K elementary schools to make sure that we have consistency that every kid um, across each school would get the opportunity and teachers would get the materials they need. Okay, and I think I'm just trying to understand the difference between when it becomes a capital thing versus when it becomes an operating thing. If you wanted to institute a special curriculum in the high school where it's just one school, is that also capital or is that operating? So if we had um, a math rollout for a secondary level that included we, we, uh, we've come before for um, like elementary math yeah. um, to roll that out. In high school, depending on the department, um, there could be, it could be a scenario where if it's department specific and it's small enough, we could try to operationalize that through a teaching and learning budget. Okay. But when you're doing like a, a full scale rollout in a, in a content area such as literacy, which really is the plate, it kind of expands all subject areas, um, that would be a bigger purchase, so that's how we've, we've typically done that. So is it like baseline stays operating and anything you consider over baseline? Again, I'm just trying to understand yeah. kind of what becomes capital. Um, we haven't, so I don't know if it's in, if you saw in the notes, but we haven't made a purchase in this area since 2005. So we're up for review. We want to make sure we're providing the highest quality materials for our kids and um, something to this nature, like a full scale rollout of a level would be something that we would look to um, fund through a capital investment. Okay. So, Mr. It's a Natalie. You bring up a, an awesome question, which is a debate we've had for years now. Uh, the most illustrative example I can use recently are Chromebooks, right? Where there's an annual. As things have evolved in the world, Chromebooks are now just a reality of something that's part of the infrastructure we buy it, right? And the reality is, is when is it a capital versus an operating is something we're consistently trying to challenge ourselves on. And I'll give you one more quick example. Some of the police requests, right? I am working with the chief to try to get some of those items into the operating budget. We pay for ammunition in the operating budget, but we don't do tasers, but he comes in and asks every year because tasers now are on a replacement schedule every so year, right? Uh, protective gear for the fire department maybe, uh, maybe it's curriculum. There's some other items in here. And the reality is is that um, while the policy has generally been one-time cost items like a truck, a van, whatever, um, you know, traditionally, and I inherited this, this isn't you know, something against my predecessor, but I think Lucas and I and the previous superintendent are trying to find that operating budget capacity to try to inject more of these things that we do buy every year, like Chromebooks, and schools have done a great job getting Chromebook purchasing out of the capital program and into their budget whenever they, you know, whenever they need fit. Um, we are trying to work towards that. But as you can imagine, you could add up all those items and probably get another half a million to a million bucks a year, probably more based on what everybody requests, not just recommended. 
and to find that space in the operating budget is really hard. If you noticed, and I didn't mention it because you brought it up and I've been thinking about you on this with snow and ice, you probably saw my note in there, in all seriousness, that does, that does give us the ability to get snow and ice this year, hopefully, and some of the road work that we've done into the operating budget where I think we've all agreed that that's where it belongs, it's an operating cost, we do it every year, and hopefully free up free cash. <laughs> um, and so I think curriculum, if you look at the bottom two, you know, curriculum development is almost a thing that's being modernized every year now, whereas in, you know, when this capital policy was developed 10, 20 years ago, they mainly only came once every five years for curriculum items. So some of it's still shifting as we evolve into the future about what the needs are for the schools or the town stuff. Um, and so we are actively trying. And I know the capital subcommittee will also bring up this issue. Um, and we'd love to wave the magic wand, not that anybody expects us to. Um, we'd love to wave the magic wand and be able to put all of that into the operating budget, but it's just not possible. And so things like curriculum are, are, are mandates, basically, also from the state to some degree. And so some of this is kind of like, well, we have to do this. So we have to do what we have to do. So it is a little bit art, and it's a little bit science. OK, so thank you. You're welcome. Jamie, just one question. Traditionally, at least I'd like to see what the requests were and what you recommended. And that's nowhere in here, I think. It's the second link on the agenda. FY23, it's uh, item 5B. There's spreadsheets in there, and, and the, there's like the cover sheet, and then when you go in, most of the departments had five-year plans, but for the bigger ones, for the larger ones, like facilities for DPW, I think fire might as well. They have a 10-year uh, window. I had um, seen it. I just didn't see it. Yeah. I missed the page. It's, well, you might want to miss it because the number is really large. <laughs> it's all funny right now. Yeah. Funny money. Um, it's funny money. I'm set. Anybody else? Okay. Anybody yes. home? No set? Okay. All right. Uh, through the chairman, so two recommendations for facilities town projects. Uh, one is $50,000 for uh, the Davis there clean out, uh, in addition to a market appraisal. As folks who have been paying attention probably know, the council just established the uh, Davis there reuse committee. We'll be putting out a posting for solicitation of citizens at some point. Uh, but in the meantime, while that's all starting, um, that's for the, uh, some of the movers for some of the furniture inside Davis there. And then the second request, um, which folks will hear about next week at the senior centers doing a presentation before the council. Um, as all of you probably know, I, Alicia and I spent four months down at the senior center um, during their transition of leadership. Um, and this was by far uh, the number one thing on the uh, on the board that the overwhelming amount of seniors had wanted, and I think one of the reasons why was years ago we used to have a regionalized partnership with Medway, and we used their van, and then Medway said we don't want you anymore, and we then were left without a van, um, and uh, and so we've been able to get through a few years without one, but. Uh, with the new director and deputy director, um, and with the desire for a lot of trips as well as medical appointments, 
um, it's about time that we fund our own van. I will say, I think I put in here, but just for the folks watching at home, just because we buy the van or approve the van doesn't mean the van's showing up soon. It's going to take a while to do that. We'll talk to our friends in town uh, to see if there's an option there. Mike's done a great job over the years with uh, purchasing vehicles. And then we need people in them to drive them, which will take a little time. So I put my little clause in here. Just, you gotta, everybody's going to have to give a year or so for that to be fully funded and see where we're at in terms of getting the van operational and out there. Um, doing field trips uh, and fun stuff. Seems like a great senior work on <laughs> Not from a liability perspective. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job with risk management. <laughs> so we will, we will be asking for drivers. <laughs> Corey and the whole bit. <laughs> Questions, anybody? Uh, just a simple question. Does this cost assume, like, does it have to be like an ADA accessible, I imagine, with kind of the older age? Does yeah. that make it more expensive as well, I imagine? Yes, so it's, it's more like a small bus, but it does have a handicap um, lift in the back of it, so uh, both of the, the director and the assistant director of the senior center made that very clear, because they have a lot of people who would need help getting into the van. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. That's another question. Anyone else? No. On we go. Technology department. Uh, small request from the tech director this year. He's looking to get the police station with some Wi-Fi. So hopefully you guys will support that. Um, and the uninterruptible power supply. Um, I made Tim spell that one out for me. Um, but uh, he's here to ask, answer any questions anybody has. You know, it occurred to me, I've read the UPS. We don't have a generator on the, on the, the, the hub of the town? <laughs> you guys are answering. You guys are answering this one. I've dealt with this one long enough. I mean, we've got a box to kind of size one at the high school. I think we could get a medium sized one. Yeah, why don't you, both here. Why don't you go ahead and tell <laughs> So. You still need UPSs. I understand to go for the generators, Mike. Yeah. But we do have a generator, um, a portable generator, that's been on order since March. I do remember that was last year. Okay. Yeah, and um, we took bids on it. We sent them a contract, and they have said at different times that it'd be like coming in around Thanksgiving and we still haven't got a date when they're building it. It's a, it's a rather large generator. It's um, 175 kW, but it can power up the entire building. But we just, we need that time in between. Um, just to talk about that also is the fire department did apply for a small generator that would keep, that could span an interim time for us to run down, grab the generator, and bring it here, and would at least, so you need the UPS, we're open for the, we were awarded the um, grant for a, what's called, called a red plug generator that just does um, the box in the electrical panel in here, and the electrical panel in the MDF, and then we're running across town, grab the other one, and bring the whole building up. So it's stuck in the mail with the traffic light at Grove and Washington Street. 
can't do. Just want to remind everybody, we're still waiting for that light that was supposed to show up last March as well. Okay. Anybody else? Town Administrator and Building Commission. Oh, weights and measures. Yep. So, uh, Gus, this may be your first capital meeting. So, 25 years. So, um, through Mr. Chairman, in all seriousness, there's two requests on here. One for uh, the sealers of weights and measures equipment because the state's now not doing it and our illustrious building commissioner is. And $80,000 uh, for the demolition of Schmidt's uh, farm, the home. Uh, both projects will be under the, uh, under the uh, uh, control of the building commissioner. And he'll be leading both of those, so he's here to answer any questions folks have. Did, did the new title move him up in the compensation plan? I'm not going to Cambridge. That will come back to haunt me. <laughs> I just, I have a quick question. Um, the weights and measures equipment, so uh, you have the price, but it says used, so I imagine that you've already found it and have like ready to go. As far as a like, because it says the weight, the weights and measures equipment that you need, it says it's used. So I just imagine you've already found it in order to have a price of used equipment, or is that just? Actually, it's the used vehicle. Oh, vehicle. yes, it's the used, used truck. Vehicle yeah. and, right. Oh, okay. and to be honest with you, I'm probably halfway there with all the equipment right now. It's taken a while. There's some things on back order, just like the traffic light. So, um, but we're working pretty hard to get it and make sure that everybody's serviced with, with what we need to do. Um, county commissioners, yeah, mentioned that. Yeah. Um, no four county commissioners have attempted to step up, which is huge for us. Um, it'll kind of take the pressure off of me if they create a regional regionalization um, of weights and measures in Norfolk County. Um, it's it's encouraging. Okay. It's a lot of supermarkets and gas pumps in this town. You'd be, that's what you'd be doing. About 650 devices really? total. Wow. Okay. It's also grocery stores, cannabis, it's all that stuff. Anything with a, with a weight. It's a public protection night, you know. I mean, is that, is the county paying for it with what they withheld in the opera? It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty sassy, no. Anybody else? No. Thank you, sir. Fire department. Yeah, so, there, Mr. Chairman, I think the chief will, and the deputies will speak to this. About about three, just under three hundred eighty thousand in requests for uh, firefighter clothing, portable radios, uh, combustible gas beaters, uh, ALS simulators, uh, uh, command vehicle, and uh, and two uh, mini cutters. Uh, if you have any questions, I'm sure the uh, the chief will come up and and talk a little bit more detail. I think, as I said before, with and Allie's point, you know, there's some items in here in the future we love to just bake into the operating budget, but we'll have to wait for the time and space to do that. Based on the number of calls I hear, is four gas meters enough? Yeah. 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 Okay. 
can we rent out the ALS simulator to surrounding people? Make a few bucks on the side. <laughs> that's actually a good question. We're waiting to see if we get it first. But if we did, that's actually a, nobody around here. I can't say has anything like that. So it would be something we could look into because I think there would be a need right around, this, particularly in the Mech towns for starters. But even beyond that, be, we could probably do that. Reach out to them. Based on the number of times, times they're in here, it would be nice to know they're trained properly. Yeah. So for uh, calendar year, uh, this past calendar year, it was 247 mutual aids in, because I didn't figure you'd want to know. <laughs> so uh, that's what the mutual aid was, so, uh, which is up. And we this past calendar year, we went over 5,000 for the first time. That's one. So the numbers are all up, as you know. So, But that's a great thought if we are successful getting that. It's a great thought uh, for the neighboring communities. Talk that up. Uh, we need them. Yeah. And is the the only other question I have is the new, the old engine one. Is it? Do you have all the equipment you need to make it a true rescue? We're working on that right now. Through uh, Department of Fire Services, we got twenty-five thousand uh, dollars to secure some technical equipment. Um, we're looking to get some um, dive equipment as well. We had some loan to us from Wellesley. Uh, that we're inventorying right now. So we're trying to get uh, that truck stocked for instances that don't happen all the time, but are highly technical. And we have our uh, firefighters doing some extra technical training beyond the tech rescue team as well. So we're trying to fit that truck with all the things that we don't use every day, but uh, in case we do, we'll, we'll be ready to go both the training and the specialized equipment. Questions? Bill Dowd's not here. I'm sure he's got something. I just, um, Excuse me, Mr. Chairman, uh, I just don't want to lose sight of page nine. Um, I know some of these things are familiar, and I know we'll get to it at the end, but I just wanted to uh, have the chief speak to FY24 Capital and Beyond. Um, on there is a list of a ladder truck. Um, those sheets on that second link show a lot more, and I know there's the Tri-County School and Police Station and all that other stuff on this list, but this is a new one, so I thought maybe the Chief could just talk to the situation with the ladder truck. Given all the supply chain issues we're talking about, I just thought he could talk about that for well, a minute. Two things on the, the column. Hey, I counted today the right. Within the next year, we'll have 27 apartment buildings, four stories. You just need that piece of gear to get there. And then you add in four hotels. Yes. The, the new one up on Union Street, uh, Union, uh, whatever, is that Upper Union or whatever it is, is about to open or open soon. So we'll have four of them, and they're all four stories. And I wouldn't want to go up on a straight stick. No. We would want to stick with a, a platform, the safety of our folks, as well as the person we're taking out. But um, regarding the latter, I did mention it briefly at the FinCom last year and at the uh, budget uh, meetings as well. Three biggest concerns I have is in the last several years, the cost of what we're putting into our, tr our current tower, which is a 2008. Uh, the last two or three years, what the cost of these vehicles are going up is a concern. But most importantly, number three, is the delivery now of these vehicles. It's probably 24 to 36 months out from the time uh, we order a vehicle now. We do uh, reach out to the vendors in the last four or five months. We got pricing on the frame rail of that tower, what that cost would be, what our total refurb of that truck would be. 
what a trade-in value of that truck in, would be and what a new purchase would be. And we've got all that data, um, both with what we put into that truck now. I just feel at this particular point in time, if it's 24 or 36 months out, I do think this is the time to have the serious conversation. I think it's the right thing to do. I think uh, doing a refurb, my concern with a refurb is once they start peeling these trucks apart, they find more things, you, it gets out of control. And you feel like you have no control over it. I just think it's the, uh, it's a 15-year-old truck today, and if we act uh, fairly soon, uh, we didn't have that in FY25 or FY26 as the purchase time. I just think it's that time that we have to make a, we have to make a decision now. I'd hate to go two or three years and then have nothing here. A refurb, for example, you have to give it six months to make an appointment to get it done, and then they have it from 12 to 18 months. That's if they refurb it. So we're out, we're gonna be out of a truck for a year and a half. What do we do? Nobody's got an extra truck around to, to loan us for the most part. So that's why I'm bringing it up now. I just think it's, it's, it's the time. I think it's the time, so I appreciate it. I have a financial question. If you order it, we don't pay for it until it ends up at 40 or Central, right? Or do, or do is there something, is there a financial implication now versus in FY25 when it shows up? Well, you'd have to have an authorization you know, from the legislative body, which is which is kind of like where you. Yep. Thanks, Chris. Which is where you know. I'll, I'll, let, him, I'll let him finish my thought. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, Chris Sandini through the uh, chair. Um, I've seen it done both ways. I've seen where they've offered a discount if you give a deposit up front. So I've seen it both ways. A deposit. It's not. It's not the entire amount, but it might be like fifty percent. Okay. Depends on rates, yes, because this is this is not a free cash item. This is a debt item, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And I think in talking with the finance staff earlier, um, you know, we just did get a 3.44 interest rate in December when we borrowed for Schmidt. I thought, I think we all anticipated that being at least one percent higher, which is good news for a lot of things, right? Um, and so I did talk to the finance staff to try to model out what it would look like, primarily because we're also at a point, as all of you know, where the debt and interest service is coming down on the operating budget. And I frequently said we need to make sure that that gets up a lot higher so that percentage market share of the operating budget reflects debt and interest, which is healthy for a lot of reasons. But then beyond that, you know, I have been concerned, I think like all of us, about interest rates. I mean, who isn't? Um, and so uh, the 344 that we got for Schmidt in December, you know, might have given us a little bit of a breath for a minute. And if the finance team can create some, uh, can come up with some uh, innovative ideas, which, you know, Chris just kind of alluded to a little, you know, maybe that is something where we can try to find the right financial mechanism to be able to get the order in and deposit here, um, you know, or whatever, knowing that we wouldn't have to pay the full rate um, until probably FY25 anyway. Um, if we're looking at the Chiefs 24 to 36 months, ordering it, you know, in a month or two, that's still a long time away, <laughs> you know? Um, so, uh, so the finance team uh, is gonna crunch the numbers and look at some ideas and talk to our financial consultants to see what the options might be, given that the interest rate we just got with the AAA was, was pretty good, considering the circumstance. The other issue, again, I pay attention, I listen to a thousand calls a week. This is the fourth ambulance. It took us how long to get to 22? 18 months? I 
it 18 months? 18 to 20? It was it was up there. It was about yeah, probably it was the year and a half. Yeah, eight months. Eight months. Yeah. And I, I think they're all in pretty good shape. But they are. Same question. Do we want to get in the queue now for the oldest unit? It's uh, 2014. Right. We have a 22, a 21, a 17, and a 14. Right. So we'd like to get, uh, if it's allowed, we'd like to get in a two and a half year cycle. A lot of departments around us right now are having a tough time waiting. They can't get the chassis. And they're in, we're really in good shape compared to what's going on around us. Um, but we need to keep ahead of it to your point. And we're looking at that two and a half year mark, which will be coming out in the spring to place another order if that, if that works out. If that works out. How much are those? Oh, they're up to three. No, uh, no, they're at four now. Four. So that is a free cash thing. Well, we have to It's an ambulance. Yeah, the, well, you have both the stabilization account, you have the ambulance receipts. To try to pay for that, and you know, if, if all else fails, I mean, you obviously can do a borrowing, although not unusually on that type of an item. But um, I just want to add one more element where I thought you were going, George, which is we also know that when the apparatus shows up, it may not be in the condition we want it to be, and so that's another factor about timing. You know, the chief says we'll be out with a ladder truck for maybe a year and a half, even when the truck arrives for that kind of money, you want to say everything's perfect, but we know that that's not that's the case. On the refer. Right. Yeah. So, right. Other than that, you guys are in pretty good shape. Yes, we are. Yeah. We're very fortunate. We are. Tower. And that's the last piece of tower. Yeah. Engine three in probably 10 years? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Seven or eight, 10 years. No point to terrific shape. It's 100 years to me. <laughs> 10. I hope I live to see it. Uh, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay, we're set. I think. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to clarify. So, because um, just on the ladder truck, because it sounds like it's a need to happen. So we're waiting on the finance committee to crunch numbers and come back to us with kind of recommendation. That's right. Okay. Yep, the finance staff. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Yep, so um, through you, Mr. Chairman, so uh, uh, the recommendation is just a hair under 400000 for the police, um, 338000 for replacement of vehicles, uh, 14000 for uh, tasers, uh, about 17000 for uh, protective body armor, uh, 21250 for uh, speed enforcement trailer message boards, um, and then uh, some technology equipment, uh, which the chief usually asks for, some software and stuff. Um, again, back to Natalie's point a little while ago, I did actually ask this year the chief to put these items in the operating budget, um, just as a request to see where it all kind of fell out, where the numbers fall out. Um, I think um, some of the lower cost items are things that, you know, I, I'm hopeful that we will be able to get in the operating budget on a more routine basis. Um, the bigger question is going to be the police vehicles, um, kind of similar to, to computers. We now order them every year for good reason. Um, it is something that we are trying to come up with some creative solutions, maybe some other stabilization account, maybe some revolving account from fees to try to help out, um, you know, uh, some different ideas. But obviously to get 350000 a year um, 
you know, as I remind everybody, our electricity rate and costs for just the town is going to go up 350000 next year alone. I don't know if we can make that commitment. Um, regardless of that, uh, we'll get to that in May, but regardless of that, obviously we need these ordering of these cruisers now. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe the chief just got the cruisers that were ordered last year. Um, okay, he is not, maybe they're in Cambridge. But, um, you know, but in all seriousness, I think he will come up and explain the same, di the same dynamic that everybody has, that um, ordering these uh, and waiting is incredibly difficult. And, and one more quick point to remind the Finance Committee and the folks at home, most towns have to go through town meeting for these appropriations, and they don't get to order this stuff till July and August in the summer when it's a huge bottleneck. We have a huge advantage to order these earlier, and we're still having problems. So imagine what it's like in other communities that have to wait till the summer when 90% you know, of the towns go out and order their stuff. We have a little bit of a head start, and I think as the chief will tell you, um, you know, we're still having a difficulty getting uh, vehicles in, which is you know, obviously concerning. Um, not like we can do much about it. So, um, so chief, I don't know if you have anything else. Is that a good overview or? Oh, excellent. Okay. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Throw you, Mr. Chair. Yeah, you Imagine if you told you it was terrible. Yeah. I'm a Brookline kid. We don't, we're not flying to Cambridge. <laughs> <laughs> we're always competing with us. Um, born and raised. Yes. So, as, as the town administrator, Mr. Helen said, um, yeah, for us, the cruises, the cruises have been in stock from the moment we ordered them after we got approved through capital for uh, 22. The problem is, is the Motorola radios are taking forever to come in for the unmarked cruises and the chips necessary for federal signals to build the light bars that we use are still not available. But we are getting, we, I was told that next week we're getting the two unmarked units and the marked units are not far behind. They finally got the, uh, they must have undid the blockade around Taiwan or something so that we could get the chips that we need for the uh, the light bars. But that's the issues with, you know that we're having like everybody else when it comes to these supply things. Um, but hopefully we'll get them uh, and he is correct also, our free cash, the way we use it, do our capital, you know, we're going in usually around February, you know, to order these cars where everybody else is showing up around, you know, mid-July trying to do the same thing. I ran the fleet for 14 years. It was nice to walk into, used to be MHQ, but there was nobody there. You know, back in July, the, the place is just crazy. Everybody's trying to get their stuff and everybody's behind, especially the uptick because everybody's trying to get their cars upfitted at the same time. Upfitting being all the lights and buy the car from the company, and then they outfit the uh, cruisers with all the lights, the signs that are there. What are they going for? 65 grand for utility, which is the SUV, the Explorer. We don't do sedans. They're just too small. They're not able to carry anything. I'm tired of seeing people hitting their heads on the A-frame and everything else. So. Uh, that's basically what we're going for, but that's all with all the equipment. Everything's getting more. That's the computers. The I mean, Motorola radios, five grand alone. Um, it's thousand dollars to mark them. Speaking of again, you know I pay attention. What happened to the tower that was going to be built to help? I mean, you mean up on the north side of town? Yeah, I mean I can listen, and the guys. Uh, thank God they have cell phones. I guess to call. Yeah. So, um, for whatever reason, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not really sure all the dynamics. Um, last year during the Omicron, I think there was uh, the the tower up on uh, up 
on the north side of town was approved by the ZBA. Uh, there is a condition in there that the, that the town gets the top 40 feet for all of the but he equipment. Came, he was just at the ZBA to get a year's extension. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it might be market-based stuff. It might be supply chain issues. Maybe labor costs to build it. It could be leasing from the telecom companies. Um, it's a myriad of issues. It could be you know, person, personnel, personal issues. I, you know, we don't really know. Um, I've had Mike uh, D'Angelo try to work out uh, costing out um, what the equipment would cost to put on there. Um, but without um, without them building the tower, there's really not much else for us to do. Um, and I'm guessing they just need more time, just like everybody else to build what they started. And uh, it's kind of like the questions I get about the solar farm on Spring Street. When do I get my discount? <laughs> um, you know, and for whatever reason, it's just taking a long time to, to get everything, just like all the other issues that we've been talking about. I think that my educated guest tells me that's the hang up. Um, but obviously, uh, that company was great uh, to work with. Um, we're appreciative that they gave us the top space. And we'll get some stuff up there when we can. I think he said he was having trouble getting his Release from Verizon itself. That was the issue. At some point, he still has to erect yeah. a tower. Otherwise, I mean, you know, I don't know if I'm just an idiot here, but it's like at some point I'll deal with it when the tower's built. Um, you know, I got too many other things to think about until that guy builds the tower. Yeah, through you, Mr. Chairman, I, we just had a meeting on this past Friday with Michael and Cybercom. Uh, who's the radio company that we utilize. Uh, I don't know much about what's going on with the tower and everything, but what can we do in the interim? We know where the so-called dead spots are, especially in the north and a little bit uh, in the uh, in the east, um, that we're having problems with the tower. We solve them all, uh, but there is another solution that we're working on, uh, trying to update our FCC license to be able to simulcast and then potentially being able to turn on the transmitter that is actually on uh, Kel Sullivan. It's now it's a receiver, but there's also a transmitter. So we're only transmitting from one location. Um, they can get out, but they can't hear anything coming in. And this would potentially solve some of those problems in the interim. But uh, we still there is still some equipment that needs to be purchased. It's not going to be instantaneous um, until the tower goes up. If the tower goes out and we, and we do have a simulcast license, we'll also be able to put a receiver with a transmitter on that tower as well up there, and that should really solve all the issues that we have right now. It's just. Somebody out there can't talk if he's in trouble. You know, it's, it's tough to get back. Oh well. Hopefully, by the end of the decade, we'll have that all. It's not that far away. <laughs> Questions, guys? Thank you. Thank you. And uh, last, Mr. Chairman, but by no means least, uh, Department of Public Works, um, as everybody knows, there's a few uh, items here. One, uh, from free cash for highway and grounds. Uh, the recommendation is uh, uh, 390,000 total, 245 for a six-wheel dump truck, sander and plow, uh, 75,000 for a 10-wheel dump truck, um, and a one-ton dump truck uh, of 70,000. If you note on the second one, We'll walk through those with water and sewer as well, as many of you know, but for those uh, with their first meeting. Um, we traditionally, with equipment that is shared between uh, highway grounds, water, and sewer departments, we and, and, and also stormwater, um, in this case, 
um, we typically share those costs uh, based off um, the usage. Um, I want to note on here stormwater, where it says 20%, somebody asked me this the other day, well, how can stormwater pay for anything? There's no money. It's true. Um, we're anticipating our first stormwater utility budget starting July 1st. So that 20% that's referenced in here will actually be in the operating budget proposal um, for the utility uh, in the, uh, the budget. So we'll take uh, highway and grounds first. Uh, we got Tony with us tonight to make his finance committee debut. Uh, we're gonna see we're gonna see his beard and mug a little bit more often. I think wherever Brutus is, we're not sure. Uh, uh, but uh, but Tony's here to to answer any questions for highway and grounds that folks may have. So am I? Correct. We're going to buy two two big trucks. One of them free cash from here, two forty-five. Yep. Correct. And then the ten wheel, and I don't think the ten wheel comes from free cash, a bit from the sewer uh, reserve or whatever it's called. A bit from water. free cash maybe, and water free cash, and the three pay for the truck. Correct. They're. Uh, Technically called retained earnings okay. by the Department of Revenue. We just want to—they want to confuse you more. And the one one ton dump is just straight free cash. Yeah. The third item. Yep. How about yeah. The the first item and the, the third item, the 350 and the uh, H38, the 99 GMC. Yeah. Both of those are vehicles that have already been auctioned off and. Uh, we just haven't had money allocated to replace them, and they're uh, very essential pieces of equipment uh, involved in our daily tasks and winter operations. Uh, I assume we'll run into the same problem of it's going to be a year before you can see something. Yo, how's that? How, yeah, what's that look like? We, we just got uh, word um, from the car dealership that we just got a truck that landed in Albany that we've been waiting on for 13 months. And that's just the utility body. And those smaller trucks seem to be at a very high demand right now. We're trying to like outfit cabin chassis and put bodies on them and it's just, it's a mess right now. Everyone's really trying to push to get all their vehicles in and get outfitted for the upcoming season. So, it's tough. Well, they haven't beat the depth of snow yet, so we're moving on. <laughs> Sorry, I said it. Um, I'm set. Anybody else? I'm good. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Tony. Thank you very much. We don't pitch up. Um, and then the uh, moving down on page six, uh, the water enterprise funds. Um, the proposal is to, um, if folks know, I put in a little uh, notation in here about our retained earnings, uh, our town policy is a million dollars in reserves. Um, the cost driving element of things, um, we're, uh, we're requesting to maintain that number just under 1.5 million. Um, and the projects for the water department is if they don't have enough already, um, with all of the ARPA funds and the great work that Doug and his staff are doing. Um, the first request is 645,000 for uh, PFAS remediation in well seven, which is currently offline. Uh, the second request is the design and pilot for the Fisher Street uh, treatment plant uh, at about 467,000. Um, so vehicles and equipment at 75,000. We just talked about that with the dump truck. 
and then our standard 50,000 a year for water meter replacements. Um, I just want to let everybody know, um, and I will not, uh, I will not be as awful, Doug, as I was the other day at our capital meeting about my feelings on PFAS. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, as I articulate in here, um, you know, it's a controversial issue. It's expensive. The reality is, is that it's a regulatory issue we have to deal with, and in, 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 and also it's a public health issue regarding Well 7 and making sure that all of our wells are in tip-top shape to be able to be available uh, to the ratepayers and the citizens and businesses in town. Um, I do want to warn the public, um, this is going to cost likely for many communities, maybe not Franklin, uh, but for a lot of communities, uh, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars in compliance over the next whatever, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, my, my frustration with it is that, um, you know, unlike other chemicals in the past, um, it seemed like the regulatory environment just came up out of nowhere. And the state is putting some money behind this, but as they usually do, they're putting nowhere near the amount of money that it takes for us to fund this stuff at the level of the requirements and the specificity that they're asking us to. When lead happened, right, lead removal back years ago, it was pretty obvious what the, what, what, it was pretty obvious that getting rid of lead everywhere was a priority because it clearly had documented public health impacts. I'm not saying that PFAS, I'm gonna go drink a cup of it, um, but it is still a part of manufactured items that we consume every single day. Um, and so I, I just have an issue with the fact that it, it, I'm not sure where this falls on the priority ladder for the environmental regulatory community. We're getting hit with stormwater fees. We have to do that for 30 years. And now this, and it just feels like the federal and state government aren't chipping in almost any money on this stuff. Uh, and so it is a little frustrating. I don't normally um, go off on unfended mandates and this type of stuff. Uh, but my frustration with this is, is it really, it's not as if this chemical is good. I'm not saying we should consume it. But I'm just not so sure we've seen really what the liability is right in front of our face like we've done with many other things in the environmental movement for years. At the end of the day though, as Doug does a phenomenal job with his team planning out his capital plan, um, you know, after my rant in the office the other day, he still looks at me and says, but DEP regulates us and we have to do it because that's what the law is. So uh, that's why I bumped that issue up to number one because uh, the state's making us do this. Uh, they, uh, and I also want to assure the public, um, as the water reports have had in the past, and Doug can speak to this a little bit too with PFAS, um, We've done testing uh, for PFAS well in advance of what the regulatory requirements were for years. And we really did perform really, really well and well under the thresholds. Um, only this one instance, uh, I think a year ago, did the testing finally just trip right over a little bit. Um, when there was a story in the Boston Globe a few years, several years ago, there were a lot of worried residents in town for good reason that they thought there was widespread PFAS contamination everywhere in town. That is not the case. People can drink the water out of their faucets. It is safe. Um, and I want to assure everybody, as Doug will too, um, that uh, the health and being of our drinking water is in excellent shape. And by no means does this appropriation tonight somehow um, should, should result in any type of uh, uh, panic in the community. So, um, so with that as a background, that's the, the water recommendations for the year. I don't see the word PFAS in here. 
I don't, I don't want to say it. You know, it's, okay. in, it's on page six down at number A. Yeah. You mean what does it stand for? Well, no, I don't know what it stands for. Me neither. I'm not sure Doug does, but I bet you he does. You may not know how to pronounce it. It's very long. He knows what it is. He can't pronounce the words. Is it a naturally occurring substance in the in the water that comes out of the wells? That's my question. I'm just an annoyed town manager. I'm gonna let the town engineer. I'm gonna let the experts answer that question. So, or is it something we create with it, fertilizer, grass seed? It's a PFAS is a man-made chemical. It was developed, I don't know, back in the 70s, 60s. Basically, Teflon, uh, Scotchgard, um, and any like waterproofing clothing. I probably got on right now. We all, <laughs> we're all wearing it, right? It's, totally. it's, all, it's in the environment. It's actually still being produced. So, so it, we, the general public, in a sense, created it. Goes into the to the ground. It comes back out in the water. Correct. That's right. <clears throat> And so the and lack of accountability from the feds or state to say, don't make it anymore. Oh, but keep making it. Oh, but now we're going to mandate you clean it all up. But it doesn't is make, ridiculous. It doesn't make my ears fall off or my nose fall off. <laughs> we're still trying to figure out exactly what fall off. All right. Because we, we eat it every day on Teflon pans when we cook food on our, on our pans at home. And if you wear makeup, it's in makeup. Right, Doug? It's in lipsticks. It's, it's, yeah. it's in all sorts of makeup. But go clean it out of the water. So, Plaster it on your face all day, lick it, eat it, drink it, but go clean it up when it's in the river. Okay, we beat that one today. <laughs> we shall move on. You have no idea. In case you want to know how he feels. We ought to have a representative at those meetings. That would be fun. Just, um, so, other than that, any questions? Guys? No? <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, we're on the sewers, I think. All right, the sewer enterprise funds, uh, again, the same thing. We're asking to keep the uh, retained earning amount at uh, $1.237 <coughs> million, uh, just a little bit higher uh, than what we usually ask. And I, I do want to commend Doug and Jake. Um, they are working on a policy uh, because we do all agree that our thresholds for savings probably should go up a little bit. Uh, in the future, so we'll try to bring those back next year when we do the financial policies. But um, uh, the sewer ejector station uh, replacement, 125,000. Uh, the phase six, part two of the sewer rehabilitation project is a half a million. Um, some equipment and vehicles, notably the uh, the generator for uh, for Don Marie, um, uh, is 60,000, and then some additional uh, equipment and trucks, like we had talked about before, and then. Um, one thing that our departments do exceptionally well is uh, I and I inflow and infiltration work, um, and so two hundred thousand uh, to continue our uh, incredible efforts on that stuff. How many sewer stations do we have in town? I know too many. <laughs> we have uh, twenty-three sewer uh, lift stations. About to be uh, twenty-four when uh, the Beaver Street uh, sewer station goes in. So, and uh, just to reiterate on uh, Jamie's point, so that phase six part two. Uh, 500,000 that will finish off all of the INI recommendations we had for lining and uh, manhole re uh, rehabilitations. So that's where D comes into play. We need to start doing some more uh, flow assessment for other areas of town. 
so that's where that goes. We actually get, we basically save some money on that because it doesn't go to Medway and get charged there, right? Correct. Yep. We're trying to work with Medway to push them along towards some more I and I work too, for the betterment of the system. Yes. They don't have enough water to worry about. They don't have enough sewer either. Uh, I know. Um, questions? Uh, Mr. Chairman, um, and then just the last page, uh, just to give the public a heads up, uh, some of the big items uh, that are not on those 10-year capital plans uh, was the ladder truck we already talked about. Um, I'm anticipating, uh, we're not sure yet, uh, Brutus said he was going to get me a time today, but he didn't, but uh, the pavement management plan is going to be coming up uh, soon with results, um, which will also include sidewalks in uh, town asset parking lots. 40 million plus number here is from five years ago, so I'm sure that's a lot more, but it'll be a never-ending task. Uh, the police station, uh, as folks know, we just did approve uh, a committee uh, to start working on the building uh, of the renovation and or expansion of the police station. Uh, and then Tri-County is coming before the council on February 1st. Uh, they have a 300 million plus dollar request for a new school. Uh, up uh, uh, up on the hill, and then the uh, the uh, landfill cap and recycling center. Mr. Chairman, we have finally made some progress uh, on checking off all the boxes with the land swap. Um, we hope to have that done and anticipate that being done in addition to the actual land transaction by the end of next calendar, by the end of this calendar year. Excuse me. Um, and uh, we would hope that uh, hopefully in FY24 we'll be able to get to the solid waste master plan and trying to design out a recycling center uh, up on Beaver Street. And so those are some of the other items. Happy to, uh, and then on page 10, just so folks know, I've got a glossary there about what is free cash and how it's not free uh, for the taxpayer. And then we have uh, all the 20-year uh, the free cash and retained earnings history in case anybody has any questions. Is there a reason this, I think, is the highest that list. Is it uh, pandemic related or uh, just uh, low budgeting? I think, uh, Sharon, so if you look at, um, that's a good, if you look, if everybody looks at the list on under general funds, which is the second yeah. column in from the right, that's I think what, what George is, I think what George is pointing to are those two large numbers down in 21 and 22. Um, I do agree that the number one, they are pandemic related. A lot of transitions, a lot of different contract negotiations, a lot of staff uh, gaps where all of that excess revenue that's not spent during the year. Um, I think it's also a big credit to our department heads and staff and how they manage their budgets. Um, uh, they're uh, exceptionally diligent about making sure to get the best price for the best quality product. And we have had some staffing transitions, I think in the mid-level jobs and certainly in the labor areas. Um, and so I do think that that reflects it. In addition, you know, a lot of towns did struggle depending on your demographics. Uh, you know, the Berkshires struggled mightily without all those rep with all that revenue loss during the pandemic. Foxborough lost almost $5 million in hotel and, and meals tax revenue for that year. Um, I think part of this also was even during the pandemic, um, folks were being really creative. Like the building commissioner, they were doing inspections over FaceTime. And so revenues were down for the hotels, but as we all know, they weren't as bad as many other communities. And so I think 
um, with the way that departments manage their budgets and all of those dynamics led to uh, higher than usual free cash uh, totals. So uh, we remain, uh, I don't know, what's the term, cautiously optimistic that that will continue, but we do have to brace someday uh, for maybe those numbers going back down in reality, but you know, we'll see what happens in the year. It's called budget stabilization. Budget stabilization. Okay, anything else? Mr. Helen, you done? Yep. Anybody else? No? Motion to adjourn? Well, no. Well, you got to make a, rec a motion to approve the capital plan as is to move on to the subcommittee. Okay, do we have one in here or did you just offer it as I offer it as you see it, Mr. Chairman? I move that the Finance Committee endorse the capital plan as presented. Mr. Helm, the town administrator this evening, and discuss thoroughly. Second. Roll call. Roll call. George? Yes. Natalie? Yes. Chana? Yes. Michael? Yes. Dave? Yes. John? Yes. And Nicole is yes. Passed. 7-0. Thank you. Anything else that I forgot? Uh, you got a couple more items uh, down the list. Um, just discussion doesn't have to. I'm happy to go home. <laughs> All right, just there. Uh, really quickly, stabilization funds. If anybody has any questions, we've been asked to put them on the agenda. Um, the FY23 year to date, um, you may have a report in there. Um, I think it's nothing shocking. We've talked about facilities in DPW, um, and uh, things look overall very, very good. Um, but I think as we enter the home stretch, those are the two departments we'll have to watch throughout the year. And I just included in the, um, the Mass Municipal Association letter to the incoming governor, uh, which I thought for the Finance Committee would be helpful to read. It is long, it's comprehensive, but I do think it reflects, um, I did send around the department heads too, it does reflect, I think, the widespread set of issues that are not just in Franklin, but across the state. Um, that uh, our incoming governor has to deal with. Um, but um, I just wanted to send that to everybody to give everybody else a perspective um, on things like rural state aid, you know, is a really, really big issue. Um, and it's something that, um, you know, is a big priority, even though it doesn't affect Franklin. Um, and so uh, I thought that would be of interest to maybe some folks. So other than that, all set. Okay, one comment. There is an agenda item listed. 2023 Finance Committee Committee Adjustments. Many of you don't even know what they are. Uh, traditionally, this committee is assigned several members to each department in the town as like a liaison. The reality is it didn't work. It wasn't used. So I unilaterally eliminated it. I, I, I think from what I, I think you can tell from our discussions last week with the school committee, this one, that we ask our questions and people here should, the committee should remember that if they want to go meet with the police chief or the fire chief or the superintendent of schools, just let us, let myself or Natalie know and have at it. I don't think, I don't think anybody out there would not want to. So just be aware, you're more than welcome to go talk to anybody. Okay? And that's why I just, it, it just, I think I've, I've, I'm as involved as anybody and I think I had one meeting with Jim Bluff and that was it in, since 2013. 
just it was just a useless exercise in futility. On that, motion to adjourn. Second. Roll. Oh, yeah. George. Yes. Natalie. Yes. Jenna. Yes. Michael. Yes. Dave. Yes. John. Yes. Cole is yes. We are adjourned. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.